earnings, a rate hike, and why does core PCE matter so much? That's all on the way. This is Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show for the final weekend of July. We are glad you're here. Got a bunch coming up, but a couple of things in particular. The IRS now has lots of extra money. What are they doing with that? How about this? More funding, more enforcement. That's on the way. So is Ask Annex. And toward the end of the show, Annex Executive. What is it and how does it work and is it right for you? I'm Danny Clayton. Derek Felsky is our Chief Investment Officer. Welcome. Thank you, Danny. You've been a busy boy this week. Actually, the whole market has been. Let's see, what should we get to first? Pile of earnings that came in. Well, it was another solid week for the markets. The S&P closed up about one percent the nasdaq up two small caps up one and international equities did well as well essentially we had 134 s&p reports this week and for the most part they were very good large mega cap companies like alphabet meta microsoft and intel all reported better than expected results we heard about pricing power from procter and gamble we know the airlines continue to do well the banks set a firm tone at the beginning of earnings season so when you look at the data Essentially, the beat rates are a little bit above average. Uh, The revenue beats are a little bit below average, but all in all, a much better than feared earnings report season. In the case of like an Alphabet and a Meta, we're talking more of ad sales, I guess, because it's way too early for anything AI related. Right. Uh, Meta had better than expected growth in user numbers and revenue per user. So that was good. In addition, they've been cutting costs. You know, people were very concerned about their expenditures in the metaverse a year ago. They've dramatically pulled back on those expenditures. So they've done quite well. And then Google had really strong ad sales. Search accelerated nearly 300 basis points, a 5% year-on-year. YouTube was strong. And cloud revenue growth of 28% year-on-year was another bright spot. You know, Microsoft never used to really be this burner of a company or a stock, but they've been on a tear, haven't they? Well, there's a lot of AI enthusiasm around Microsoft, but their Azure business, which is their web services division where they compete against Amazon primarily, has been really strong. It was up 27% year on year. And this is a big company. So when you're posting year on year growth rates of 27%, you're doing something right. In addition, the other thing that the Microsoft CEO said was he was talking about data. And so when you think about AI, we don't necessarily know who the big winner is going to be on the back end, but you do know that data is necessary. So you want to focus on companies that are monetizing data. NVIDIA being a prime example. How many of these companies are going to need to pour enormous amounts of money into the development of their AI? And is that a drag on earnings? Well, I think it could be ultimately... Again, you know, it does benefit larger companies because the expenditures associated with that and actually training your data. Remember, you've got to catalog your data in order to build AI that can help you improve your business processes. That does require a significant investment. So in some ways, you could say the impact is going to be more long dated, not right now, but over time. The Fed decision on Wednesday, story, non-story about we definitely saw it coming. Well, it was as expected. They did raise 25 basis points. Powell suggested that they are going to be even more focused on the data because they understand that monetary policy acts with a lag and they only began raising rates March of last year. So the lag effects have yet to be felt. But with this strong economy, the strong labor market and the like, I think the expectation is they may continue to hike rates, but it will be based on the data. We do expect to see some sort of uptick in inflation in the coming months because gasoline prices are much stronger. Oil prices as well are up. Iron ore futures are up. So there's a lot of 
commodity rebounding in terms of price. So the good news on inflation continues to be a disinflationary trend, but there are going to be hiccups along the way. In our final minute, let's talk about PCE. What is that and what did we see and why does that matter? Well, on Friday, you know, we had a kind of a tough day on Thursday where we opened, made new highs and then closed very weak. But there were three good economic data points that we saw on Friday. One was PCE. That's the the Fed's preferred inflation gauge. It came in at 3.8 versus a 4% expectation. So that suggested that inflation is going in the right direction. In addition, we saw the jobless claims were a little bit weak. And also, earlier in the week, we got a very strong GDP report up 2.4%. Now, I don't know many economists who at the beginning of the second quarter thought GDP would be that strong. Let's talk a little bit more about GDP after we take a break. Let's dig down on that a little bit. You know, folks, we do the week in review so you can be better informed, and it helps that we got a strong investment team, always available on demand wherever you get your favorite podcasts like Spotify or Apple, also on the Axiom newsletter. Saturday, July 29th, it's Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show. We're going to be right back on 620 WTMJ. Back on Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show, investment, retirement planning, tax planning, and estate planning as a fee-only fiduciary. That's what we do, and we do it for you, and we love to do it. Just head to that website, AnnexWealth.com, and click that Get Started button. I'm Danny Clayton. Derek Felsky, our Chief Investment Officer, is here. Let's talk about that GDP number a little bit more. It came in at 2.4%. And Derek, I know you know you're our Chief Investment Officer. A year ago, Q1, Q2 of 2022, we had negative GDP. If you look it up, that would signal a recession to some people. Um, that's way in the distance, right? We've left that behind. No signs of recession, the roving recession, the soft landing. What is it? I mean, it's it's a no landing. I mean, essentially, the, the economy is surprised skeptics. Um, we saw a strong increase in consumer spending, which makes some sense given the low unemployment rate and the fact that uh, housing, you know, the wealth effect is a positive influence on consumer spending patterns. We also saw a big jump in capital spending from businesses. Many of them, you know, probably got wrong footed. They were thinking we'd have a slowdown in the second half and they spent more than people expected. And then finally, we saw an increase in inventory. So a, a very strong second quarter, the forecast for Q3 are positive number as well. So it looks like we're going to avoid a recession in 2023, which is something a lot of folks did not believe would occur. The capital expenditures on the part of businesses, does that signal confidence with them? I know our regular consumer confidence is up. That's different. Well, it certainly does. And not only that, you know, the, the corporations have tons of cash. You know, they, they refinance, they, they issue debt when rates were very low. They're now receiving much higher uh, balances on their cash than they had previously as interest rates have risen from zero to roughly 5%. Uh, so typically, when you have a lot of cash on hand, you will use it and spend it in productive ways if you can find them. Globally, how is the United States stacking up versus the rest of the country? We seem to be emerging pretty well from this mess. I think we're doing better than Europe. Um, on the emerging market side, many of the emerging market countries had raised rates before the United States and saw inflation turn down earlier than we had. Uh, so there's there's some strength in the emerging markets, places like the Philippines and India and Brazil. And then finally, you know, when, when we think about higher rates, one of the things that I've been surprised is at, at large companies, net interest margins are actually going up in the sense that they're getting more on their cash. They refinance at low levels, and that's been a tailwind for their profits. That is not as true for smaller cap companies that lack free cash flow, which is why, one of the reasons why one of the critical variables we look at when analyzing companies 
companies is the free cash flow yield they generate. What was it two months ago? There were so many problems within the banking industry. Uh, how are they now? Uh, do you hear anything? Well, the earnings report from the banks were, were better than expected. Net interest margins have improved somewhat. And, you know, and the big companies, the big banks are doing quite well. And we do expect some consolidation uh, from lower market cap companies. But all in all, the stress tests were reasonably positive. And as long as we avoid a recession, you don't really need to worry about loan delinquencies and bankruptcies. We've talked about a lot of the earnings that have come in the ones that were fairly positive. Who's been hurt this quarter? And does it make sense? Well, I mean, broadly speaking, the companies have been hurt or those that aren't able to pass along price increases because we know on the cost side, wages are up. Uh, some of their expenditures are up, you know, raw material costs and the rest. So if they're not able to pass along those price increases, they've suffered as their margins have declined. But, but generally speaking, uh, the earnings season has been really strong. The beat rates have been about average. The, the revenue beat rates about average. And this was a quarter where the expectation was S&P earnings would be down 9% year on year. Uh, but and it's two and a half percent X energy, and that's going to be better than that. We're not going to be down nearly as much as nine percent. With this entire backdrop, how are we positioning portfolios? Well, as I mentioned, we're, we're focused on free cash flow yield in terms of our equity versus fixed income exposure. We're basically neutral. The reason is that the valuations of stocks are nowhere near as attractive as they were at the beginning of the year. The S&P is trading at roughly 20 times forward earnings, which is a fairly high number. Um, that reflects a lot of enthusiasm about 2024 earnings. And we're going to find out. I mean, many in many ways, I could see there are some tailwinds, emer- I mean, headwinds emerging because the positive side of a stronger economy is it keeps inflationary forces in the economy. And that's something the Fed's going to be taking a look at. So perhaps they raise rates higher than people think currently, because there was an expectation at one time they were going to cut rates at the second half of 2023. And that is not going to happen. Derek Felsky, Chief Investment Officer. Thank you. You're very welcome. How about this? The IRS has received more funding and they are putting it to use. What do you need to know? And we'll cover that after a break on Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show on 620 WTMJ. Know the difference with Annex Wealth Management. The $1.7 trillion Inflation Reduction Act of 2022 increased the IRS budget by roughly $80 billion over 10 years for expansion and modernization efforts. What are we seeing so far and what can we expect to see? Our guy Eric Strom, always on top of this, he's the financial planning manager at Annex Wealth Management as well as a CFP and an EA, an enrolled agent with the IRS. Eric, let's start there. What's an EA? An enrolled agent is similar to being a CPA. However, this credential is awarded directly from the IRS, and it is the highest credential that the IRS awards. Enrolled agents have all the same rights to represent a client before the IRS, just like an attorney or a CPA would. Do you have a special phone number you can use? Yeah, but I can't really talk about (laughs) that. I bet you can't. The IRS says this funding has allowed the agency to, quote, dramatically improve services to taxpayers and aided its goal to continue to ensure that wealthy individuals pay their taxes. Let's tackle those goals in order. First, what did the agency say about improvements in its operations? Well, this is a big positive because there have been a lot of customer service complaints from the IRS, from both taxpayers, you know, all of us here as Americans and from professionals as well. But this year we saw an improvement. Janet Yellen had set a target of we want to see 85% level of service during the 2023 filing season. And we did actually see 87% achieved. So that's a big positive. We saw the IRS taking millions of more phone calls than the prior year. And this is great, Danny. They cut 
phone wait times Mm -hmm. down from 28 minutes to three minutes on average. And that's something that makes a really big difference. Um, And just more modernization and new scanning technologies and other improvements have been really welcomed. And by the way, IRS practitioners or those of us who actually call the IRS on behalf of clients, we were having those wait times as well. Holy cow. So have you noticed any of this? Oh, yeah. It's definitely improved this year. And not only in our own experience, but I uh, stay engaged with a lot of other professionals around the nation. And everyone has really noticed a big improvement. They've also worked through a lot of the backlog. There have been unbelievable backlog of returns not processed by the IRS. And a lot of that has improved quite a bit. Eric Strom is financial planning manager at Annex Wealth Management, CFP, also an EA with the IRS. The $80 billion increase in the IRS budget over 10 years for expansion and modernization. They had a decade of budget cuts that prevented them from keeping pace. And what the IRS labeled as the increasingly complicated set of tools the wealthiest taxpayers use to hide income and evade taxes. You know, that that's kind of a charged statement, but I guess it's true. So what, what's the progress there? They targeted 175 taxpayers that had income of over a million dollars a year, but these taxpayers had delinquent taxes that they owed. And the IRS was able to bring in already $38 million in recoveries from those people. And they kind of sang that from the mountaintops. They want everyone to know. And then the IRS commissioner used these words, this is just the start. That kind of does invoke some fear in some people. Okay, this is news to me, but what do you know about the schemes in like Puerto Rico and outside the U.S., specifically the little tiny island country of Malta, where evasion, laundering, and false tax returns flourish? Well, it's interesting you bring that up because the IRS puts out what they call the dirty dozen tax scams. And both of what you just mentioned were on there. They're both pretty interesting. Now, with Puerto Rico, we actually have thousands of Americans who are living in Puerto Rico to specifically are really incentivized to go there to avoid paying federal income tax, including, by the way, Danny, dividends, capital gains, investment type income. And this is above board. You need to live there. I believe it's 183 days or more. So there are certain rules. But what's happening is that there are operators that are scheming and they're getting people who don't actually spend those days there claiming that they have this special exemption when they really don't. And this is happening in an organized fashion. So they are trying to crack down now on this fraud that's really happening out there with Puerto Rico. Well, Puerto Rico and Malta, they're lovely places that you could spend a long time, but people just aren't staying there enough. Right. right. But let me tell you about Malta, though, because it's pretty interesting. So what's happening there, we're seeing this, it's called a Maltese pension scam. So what people are doing, people are actually, let's say, Danny, that you've been a really successful investor here in the U.S. Maybe you've got lots of appreciated holdings that you haven't paid those taxes on, but they're appreciated. People are opening up a pension in Malta, then contributing those appreciated securities to their Maltese pension, selling the securities within the pension, and then taking a distribution out. This is a way to completely evade the taxes. It is not at all legal, but it is happening a lot more than you might think to the point where it made it to that dirty dozen list. We do a lot of tax planning. What's the legit way to really reduce your taxable income? Well, there are many ways to legally avoid taxes, not evade. Notice we said avoid taxes and reduce taxes. First of all, the big question off the bat is, 
is, are you a business owner or not? Because business owners have tremendous additional power beyond non-business owners to have a lot of impact. There are many, many strategies depending on your entity and other factors for business owners. But even for non-business owners or retirees, there are a lot of ways that you can reduce taxes. First of all, you want to take a long-term view because many of us in retirement, taxes are the number one expense that you will have. Number one. Research shows that. With that in mind, there are long-term strategies, charitable strategies, of course, but also things like Roth conversions or gain harvesting, loss harvesting. These are bread and butter tax strategies that work really well, especially when viewed over a long term and repeated many, many years with that detailed ongoing tax planning. We do tax planning for our clients year round. We can do it for you. Head to the website, AnnexWealth.com. Click that Get Startup button. Eric Strom, Financial Planning Manager, CFP, and an EA with the IRS at Annex Wealth Management. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much, Danny. Saturday, July 29th, 30 minutes down, 30 minutes to go on Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show. Bottom of the hour, let's get caught up and go to the WTMJ Breaking News Center. Back with Ask Annex. Got a question? Head to our website, AnnexWealth.com. Click that Ask button. Sarah Kyle, Wealth Manager at Annex Wealth Management. Hello. Hello, Danny. Matt Morsey is Investment Team Manager. Welcome to you. Hey, Danny. All right, first question. My grandson has an interest in the stock market. Would it be helpful for us to listen to earnings calls? And are there any you'd recommend that are informative and or interesting? I want to teach him, but not bore him. He's 12. I've never listened to one. Are they informative? Are they long? They certainly can be. There's a lot of different apps where you can go straight to the company website to get access to earnings calls. You could skip through and find different areas that you want to hit. For a 12-year-old, you know, I'm just thinking find something that, that they're really interested in that they use themselves. You know, are they a big fan of Disney? Do they play sports? So, you know, maybe Nike or Dick, something like that, that they can understand a little bit about what they're talking about on the call, and then maybe that might engage them through it. They're not going to be the most interesting calls, most interesting thing for them to do. But if it's a product that they use, again, maybe they have a Mac, you know, an Apple computer or an iPhone, maybe listen to an Apple call, something like that, that they can engage them. You know, I'd also maybe look at, you know, some of the different books that are out there too on the people who started those companies to give them an idea of how they started. And then the earnings calls might be able to supplement some of that while they're in it too, but I would keep it something centric to things that they use, that they're interested in, that they really like. Who gets to ask questions? Essentially, analysts get to hop on that call. We've got some, usually for us, it's smaller companies that we're a little bit more in tune to that our research analysts here on the team, Jason Cooper specifically, might be able to ask questions on those, put them out there. And, and especially the smaller the company, the less analysts are going to follow it. And you have a better chance to get in there, ask a question, really be able to engage them, whether it's on the call or maybe even outside of that too, by emailing them directly. Are the questions pointed? Does it get combative at all? It certainly can be, you know, especially if there's a bad quarter, you know, where a company's starting to struggle or they, they're trying to turn things around and things are just not going the way that, you know, the company wants or analysts are perceiving that it should be. They are going to start to get a little bit more pointed because if you think about it, the CEO, CFO, those who are going to be on that call are going to try to paint a rosy picture. They're also kind of a PR team for the company as well, too. But analysts are really digging into the numbers. They know this company's almost as good as the executives do. So if something's not quite right or they're not liking how something's sounding based on the numbers that they're seeing, they'll certainly get into it. Yeah. And I would think 12 might be a little bit young for an earnings call, but I would instead direct them to Yahoo Finance. There's a section called the key statistics. You can learn a lot about a company's financials there. Trading range, 52-week high, low, PE ratios, dividend yields, when the company's reporting earnings, things like that. And that might be more interesting to be able to compare companies to companies. Pretty interesting that so a, a 12-year-old is interested in this, yeah, right? I love that. Right. Ask Annex, next question. Do I need an emergency fund if I'm confident? I could raise cash if needed. 
Well, I think while having the confidence to raise cash if needed is a good thing, but I would still suggest and highly recommend having an emergency fund of at least three to six months of living expenses. Even if you believe you can raise that cash quickly, the time and effort involved in doing so during an emergency could be pretty stressful and overwhelming. Yeah, I think the key word there is emergency. You know, this is an emergency fund that's really there where you're going to need something right away. Maybe it's not in cash in the bank, but if you're going outside of that to generate that cash, what do you have to do to do that? Are you interrupting or disrupting your financial plan by doing so? Is that money that you have invested in the market? Yeah, you could turn it around and get cash within a couple of days for that, but are you paying taxes because there's a whole bunch of gains? Are there transaction fees that you need to worry about through that process? Is this going to wreck your financial plan because you put the money there instead of having it just readily available to be able to handle that emergency? But again, I think the key where there's emergency, what are you considering to be that emergency? You know, is it the car breaking down and you all of a sudden have a couple thousand dollars that you need to put into that car or something around the house that you need to replace that you weren't expecting? Those are things you really should have some liquid cash for that you're able to get at right away without disrupting anything else. Last question on Ask Annex. All of a sudden, my son-in-law is jazzed up about puts and calls. He's not that financially savvy. How easy will it be for him to get in over his head? Quick answer is very easy. Uh, puts and calls are in our types of options, and you could use them in a lot of different ways. You know, we talk about them here internally that they're, they're a tool that you can use within an investment portfolio in the right situation. But options are a derivative, which means that you're not buying and selling stocks directly. You're kind of playing on the outside of that. You're anticipating that a stock is going to move up or down to a specific price by a specific time. And the key to that is that that has to happen. Otherwise, you potentially lose the entire investment into there, which is very different than owning a stock. You know, if you own a stock and it's $55 a share and you think it's going to get to 60 by a certain time, if it only gets to 59, well, you're still up and you still own the stock. But if you bought a call on it saying that's going to get to 60 by a certain time to be able to buy it and it doesn't, then you lost the premium that you put into that option. So it is a lot more risky because it's a zero sum game to a certain extent. Also keep in mind too, that the custodians are going to have extra paperwork. There's a due diligence that they need to do on you in order to approve options, whether it's level of experience, uh, level of knowledge things that they're going to look into for there. And options are not right for every single person. So that is something that is a little bit more detailed. There are some firms that did not do that as well as they probably should have, you know, Robinhood, for example. And there's lots of stories that you could find online with people using them the wrong way and getting themselves in a lot of trouble. So yeah, it is very easy to get in over your head and something that you have to be careful with. Yeah, and the big draw to those is they can be really cheap. Mm-hmm. So you can get a lot of exposure for very cheap. So that's a draw. Oh, I can buy this option for 10 cents and then they'll buy $1,000 worth and it ends up being worthless. So it's a very dangerous game to play the naked call input game. And you just need to know what you're doing. Sarah Kyle, Wealth Manager at Annex Wealth Management. Thanks. You bet. Matt Morsey, Investment Team Manager. Thank you. Thank you. You know, we work with many different types of clients. One of our sweet spots is with business executives as we build teams who are really familiar with their needs. It's called Annex Executive. After a break, we're going to talk about it. This is Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show on 620 WTMJ. Know the difference with Annex Wealth Management. Joining us, Brandon Lehman, Director of Annex Private Client, also a wealth manager and a CFP at Annex Wealth Management. Welcome. Danny. You work with a wide variety of clients. Many tend to be executives and business owners, and they can tend to have specialized needs. We're going to talk about four key discussion points and what Annex Executive Program can do for these individuals. The first would be stock options, the need for a strategy for that. Yeah, so there's a lot of situations where folks work themselves up in their career and get to a point where they're issued stock options and not options as puts and calls, but the ability to purchase a stock at a given price at the corporation they work with. A lot of times they don't know what this means. How do you do it? 
what do I do? What is the strategy? So we come in and we work with these folks, help them lay out a plan because there's always the rule of thumb, right? Exercise two years from expiration or, or things like that. But in reality, every situation is different. And we have the team and the tools to come in and say, well, this is your best option based on your tax plan, based on your earnings, based on what you've been issued. Let's do X, Y, and Z. Review and analysis year over year over year. And Annex Executive and the team we have is built to handle that every year and how it works with their compensation and their entire plan. Correct. It's looking at it from a holistic. Sometimes I say that seems cliche to say holistic, but in reality it is. It's a whole picture, compensation, potential deferrals, options, outside income, so maybe investment income, maybe rental income. How does that all fit and what does it mean? Probably leads us to our next thing to talk about, guidance for net unrealized appreciation anyway. One-time planning opportunity, is that right? It is. It's all about hitting certain gates, and I use air quotes, gates as we call them here, because when you hit a certain threshold, you can do this. But if you maybe withdraw at a certain time, then it negates the opportunity. So it's being real cognizant of what you have, how you have it, how it's set up. There's a local company that we work with. There's a lot of folks that have been there a long time and the opportunity to purchase stock in their 401k has been offered to them. Maybe they've been there 20, 30, even 40 years in some instances, and they've been purchasing stock and it's appreciated in value. So maybe they purchased it and their total money put in is $100,000, but it grew to a million. Well, the IRS says you can pull that out and put it into an individual or a joint or a brokerage account and get specialized tax treatment on that. But you have to make sure you hit those gates. And to do it right is incredibly important. Tax ramifications, there's tax opportunities, there's multiple layers that have to be watched to make sure it's done correctly. But when it's done right, the planning opportunities are huge. Well, here's the thing. They're busy doing their jobs, right? They might not even know how to track this, watch this. I mean, this is what the Annex Executive does. Exactly. Working with us, it's our job, one, to understand this. And internally, we've built out basically a step-by-step flowchart for us to build it out, track it, get it in place, and execute it, and then also get the supporting documentation to your CPA to make sure everybody's on the same page. Lots of plates are spinning. Brandon Lehman, director of Annex Private Client, also a wealth manager, CFP with Annex, joining us to talk about Annex Executive. That's a program and how it can help business owners and executives. We've got to talk about tax planning. We're not talking about getting returns done by mid-April. This is year-round stuff. Kind of mentioned it a little bit already, but tax planning is so critical from not just an executive standpoint, but a business owner standpoint. So yes, they're executives, but business owners, senior executives at companies, because because there are so many moving parts to those compensations. When you look at flow through income from a business owner on maybe an LLC or an S Corp, or you look at stock options, vesting, how do you handle that? How do you adjust? Are your quarterlies in the right spot? Something that we look at every quarter and how you really do it, the start of all of it is a paycheck. Then you annualize paychecks and it gets a lot more complex than that, but that's where you start and you look at it every quarter. And that way you have very few surprises, hopefully, come the following April. Annex Executive is a program that helps executives when there's questions about a number of different things. Deferred comp, that's got to be one of them. Deferred comp is probably one of the biggest questions we get. And the question is, how do I do it? How do we schedule it? How much do I do? 
And we walk through all of that. And the beauty of it is our planning software. Then once we start to figure this out, you can layer in the deferred comp with different payment schedules and look at it and see, wow, this is going to give me an income stream for X amount of time in retirement. Maybe it covers health insurance because I retired early until 65. Maybe it covers the travel costs that we want to have. But we figure it out ties directly into the tax plan because how much you defer ties into taxes, which means you lower your taxes. All these opportunities are there and it's a lot of fun. It's complex, but Annex Executive is designed to work with these folks specifically and handle all these unique opportunities that they've worked hard for. Stock options, net unrealized appreciation, tax planning, deferred comp, business execs, business owners, put Annex Executive team on your side, handle those unique financial planning needs. Brandon, square in the middle of it with Annex ready to roll up his sleeves for you. Brandon Lee, Director of Annex Private Client, also a wealth manager and a CFP with Annex Wealth Management and part of the Annex Executive Team. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Danny. It's Saturday, July 29th. Quick break. We're going to be back and wrap things up. This is Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show, 620 WTMJ. Back on Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show. This show is going to be available as a podcast at the top of the hour, wherever you get your podcasts, places like Spotify, Apple Podcasts. If you came in late, maybe you want to hear it again because there's always great information. I'm Danny Clayton, Brian Jacobson, Chief Economist at Annex Wealth Management, now in the studio. You know, that Taylor Swift tour is pretty big, but so is the Central Bank World Tour. Can you explain <laughs> that? So you, earlier when we were in commercials, you were talking about the Central Bank and we've got the Fed, but then there are other central banks. Yes. Yeah, and this was a pretty big week on that front. You had the Federal Reserve in the United States as our central bank in Euro, in the Eurozone, so the group of countries where they have the Euro as their currency, they have, they have the European Central Bank, and in Japan, they have the Bank of Japan. And they all had policy meetings this week. Uh, they don't really coordinate their schedules like that. It's, it's more of a coincidence kind of thing, but it does happen periodically. So it was a pretty big week when it came to those announcements. Uh, to, from my perspective, one of the most surprising things was out of Japan. Um, they've been one of the few central banks, almost like last man standing. They have the are the last ones who are still doing like asset purchases, keeping their policy rate basically at zero. And they've been doing something called yield curve control. And all that means that instead of just targeting an overnight rate, uh, like in the United States, that would be the federal funds rate. Uh, they are also targeting the 10-year JGB, and the JGB it just stands for a Japanese government bond. So it's the bonds that their government issues. They've been trying to keep that basically at 0% as well. So 0% overnight, 0% at the 10-year, and they do that with some flexibility. And they, there was a press leak that they were going to tweak that a little bit, maybe relax it. Since all these other rates around the world are going up, it's becoming harder for their central bank to intervene to keep the rates so low. And that actually, I think, caused a bit of a sell-off in the U.S. markets on Thursday. Because it's like, oh, if they're the last man standing, is this anchor, this global anchor for interest rates going away? And comes to find out that they're saying, no, they're not really normalizing policy yet. They're not changing it. They're just making some modifications. But it is a prelude to eventually them even getting off zero when it comes to rates. Does China have a central bank? They do, yes. The People's Bank of China is their central bank. It's a little bit more closely tied in with the rest of the government. And so it's interesting in the United States and in Europe, our central bank tends to be insulated from like the treasury. 
they try to be insulated from politics as far as fiscal spending. In Japan, it's a little bit different. Um, it's more closely coordinated with their treasury. And in China, it may as well just be another arm of the communist government. Can you believe what comes out of China? I mean, I, their GDP has been, what, in the sixes, eights? I mean, they've been doing very well. But, but can we believe that? Uh, no, uh, not really. I think directionally it's correct, but as far as we don't take the magnitude too seriously. Um, years ago, there was a particular indicator that one of their uh, governors actually said that he watched because he didn't even trust their numbers. He said, let's look at electricity demand. Let's look at what's going on with exports and imports. And we can trust the export numbers as far as we know what we import from China. So their export to the United States is our import. So we can kind of um, calibrate what they're saying. But for the most part, do we trust it? Eh, directionally, it's more like a communication tool. Is the government serious about stimulating their economy or trying to slow it down? And right now they're going through an issue where they feel like they need to do a bit of stimulus. So if they take the paddles and shock the chest of, of China, what does that do? Because we sort of kind of did that here and and then we suffered through inflation. That's true. Uh, and, you know, they've been going through very low inflation. And so if they do shock the paddles, and I do like that as an analogy, because it's just to get the heart pumping again. It's not something you can do again and again. It's probably going to have some ripple effects, mostly positive, And they could actually use a little inflation over there. They've been having much lower inflation than we have here in the United States. Use a little inflation, right? <laughs> I didn't think we'd hear that around here, but that is that's over there. Let's talk about our GDP in our final minute. A two point four number okay? Yeah, it was pretty healthy. 2.4% real GDP is actually maybe the run rate for what you would expect to see in a healthy economy. And so that was a pleasant surprise. Um, it's not a sign of overheating. Some of the strength that I really liked was with equipment spending by businesses. Some of that could be from the Inflation Reduction Act, some stimulus there, but also it takes confidence to sink money into new equipment. And so maybe business confidence is beginning to pick up. And rest up because it's going to be a big week next week. Just real quick, what do we got? Yeah, we've got the employment situation report. That's the really big one. ISM numbers. So a really exciting week. It's the first week of the month, which is almost like a holiday for every economist when it comes to all the uh, treats that we get in terms of data. Have a nice holiday. Brian Jacobson is our chief economist. Thanks. Thank you. Hey, folks, if you're not getting the level of comprehensive advice you need, want, and deserve, make a change. It only takes a couple of minutes to get the conversation started. Click that Get Started button at Annex Well. We're going to be back here next Saturday at 10. It's Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show, 620 WTMJ.